Welcome to Hashtag Jazz, the family-friendly Grow a f***ing pair Podcast exclusively about Utah jazz basketball I hate this history class From two of the most Emotionally unstable Guys in the business And now, here are your hosts Jason Walker and Trey Sanders Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Hashtag Jazz, of course. Well, the intro, I guess, I already told you what this was. And I guess if you clicked on this, you already knew what you were getting into. I doubt most of you were clicking on something hoping to get some sort of blueberry recipe or something. Um, if you did, then stick around. We've got a lot of fun things to talk about with the Utah Jazz. Did I nail the intro? Um... I don't know. I mean, what are you talking about a blueberry recipe? Uh, you got to be a little more specific there. The blueberry is already a blueberry. I, I guess blueberry muffin. That's what I was thinking. I guess I just said blueberry. I don't know. A blueberry recipe. Get blueberry seeds and stick them in the ground or however blueberries grow. Or just a book of blueberry-themed recipes. I, want, I don't know. I want blueberry pancakes now. <laughs> Those are pretty good, although I'm preferable to chocolate chips. Like, so I've been chocolate chips with blueberries and just about anything you know that you stick blueberries in and it's going to be better probably sure yeah mm. want some dessert okay we're, we're done talking about food <laughs> all right speaking of blueberries the utah jazz uh i don't know what it has to do with blueberries but uh the jazz the jazz did a lot better this week last week uh, we were dangerously close to the panic button and it was only sheer power of will and the fact that we were like 10 games into the season, kept us from pushing it. You know, we had last season where we went like 50 games into the season, and of course we'd already pushed the panic button at that point. We'd already pushed the tank button. Then the Jazz turned around, turned into a playoff season. Um, now they've gone from, they went from, they were four and six. So it's like, did they play two or three games this week? I can't even remember. Yeah, I was like, I two believe games. it was three. I guess, see, they looking at the schedule here since our last podcast. Yeah, it was three. So they lost the first one to the Raptors, but I guess we all kind of saw that. Uh, Donovan Mitchell was out. but So they had a, a four-game losing streak. But then, and see, winning two games in a row really helped me forget the fact that we lost to Toronto pretty badly. So winning, winning makes everything better. So I guess they were four and five when we did our podcast. Fellow four and six, and then... Now they're back to 500, and things are looking a little better. Granted, even with those two wins, there were still things that I didn't like. Um, flaws, I mean, in both those games, they had much larger leads, I think, in the third quarter, and then allowed the opponent to come back. And also to keep in mind, both the Mavericks and Celtics were on the back end of back-to-backs when facing the Jazz. So they got a bit of an easy break with both of those games. Plus, did Kyrie Irving even – I don't remember seeing him on the box score of the Celtics game. Was he playing? Nah, he, uh, his grandfather's funeral was that day, so they gave him an excused absence. Okay, yeah, and so I, I actually ended up watching this game. I was doing uh, who knows what else. Oh, I see that you don't care. No, I don't. I don't care at all. <laughs> Not after that four-game losing streak. Actually, what I was doing, I was uh, covering Utah State basketball. So I was watching a different basketball team. Hmm. But I was following along for most of the game. It's easy to follow other games when you're sitting there on press row and you got a computer in front of you. Sure. For sure. So I guess a couple of the things. Obviously, when you look at these two games... Obviously, the, the guys are playing a lot better. I know Ricky Rubio had a much more resurgent game uh, against the Celtics. He wasn't playing like crap like he's been for for most of the season. I mean, I mentioned this to you, Trey, before the, the podcast. He, of the 12 games he's been in, four times he has shot above 40%. And against Boston was one of those games. He shot 7 of 13, so just over 50%. Um, and then he had seven assists. He did have four turnovers, but that's 
it's actually about what you'd expect. That's not too bad for a starting point guard to have in a game. It's obviously above average, but you're going to expect that. And he had 17 points, which I think is his third highest total on the season. Sure, well, and it's four turnovers against the number one defense, so that's actually pretty good. Yeah, so while, you know, obviously turnovers have been a concern for him, he's had three games where he's had six turnovers. But, again, turnovers weren't the huge problem for him, at least individually in that game. But, I don't know, I know against the, the Mavericks, Alec Burks had an explosion, and so that was really helpful in that game. Mm-hmm. I think, what did he have, like 20-some points? Oh, no, that was against Toronto. We had 18 against Dallas. It was actually his second straight solid game. Um, but really, I mean, again, Dallas, bit of an inferior opponent, so it wasn't taking quite as much. Um, you see, looking at the box score of that game, you know, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and Alec Burks all having good games, Jay Crowder having a decent game. But again, it was against Dallas on tired legs. And was that one at home? Against Dallas? Yeah, that one was here. Yeah. I guess they were both at home. Both those wins were at home. But, I mean, against the Celtics, the hero of that game was uh, a certain Joseph Ingles. I can't remember his middle name. Yeah. Joseph Howard Ingles. <laughs> Howard? Yeah. How art. Huh. And how and art. Um, although I think he only had seven points in the second half, but he, he's usually, when he explodes, he's usually only exploding for one half. He'll have like 18 and a half or 20 and a half like he did against the Celtics, and then he'll have like five points in the second half for you know whatever reason. Just because he's not necessarily a 35-point kind of guy. He's not like you know these other scores that just explode for an entire game. No, I mean, he's totally capable of it. He just would rather play within the team. Yeah, he he takes what's given to him. And sometimes to a fault, I think especially last year, this year he has been a little more aggressive. Uh, I've seen him in the pick and roll a lot more. He's taking a lot more somewhat, you know, they're more contested jump shots and three-pointers. I've seen him take step backs. So he's being more assertive. And I think it's kind of like with Donovan Mitchell is that when Joe Ingles is more assertive, he can be a lot better. And one of the things I've kind of noticed is that when Joe Ingles is having a good game, then the Jazz are doing very well. It was a theme last year. And it's been kind of a theme this year where when he's had good games, the Jazz also tend to have good games. I mean, he started off the season with a 22-point game and a 27-point game. The you know the 22 point game coming in a win against the Kings and then the Jazz barely lost to the Warriors and when he had 27 points. And then next time he rolls out a 20 point game, it's against you know Boston. They win by eight points. And and it comes down to it's much more than just scoring because Joe Ingles' role play there's there's more to it than just scoring. Obviously, he gets a lot of assists, he gets a lot of steals, and things like that, and he plays that kind of pesky defense. Um, but it's just when he's playing good, I think the Jazz really need Joe Ingles, and I think he's been much less efficient. I mean, he started off, we mentioned it in, like in our first podcast, he had a effective field goal percentage in the 90s, I think. And then I think from the third game until like the Dallas game, including the Dallas game, he was shooting under 30% from three and 33% from the floor in general. So he was playing really badly on offense. Uh, yeah, was, I was starting to wonder what like what was going on, like if he was dealing with something or what. Because usually, I mean, even the open shots he was missing, and that's that's unusual. Yeah, it, it is very unusual for Joe Ingles to be missing open shots. And yeah, it's just, I think that did play a part in that in that losing streak. Let's see. Let me let me do the math here really quick on what he shot during that losing streak, at least from three. It wasn't good. You can already tell you just by looking at it. Uh, 29%. Yeesh. So, just not good. 
and even in the wins, he wasn't playing well. They were kind of winning despite him in, the, in that little three-game win streak. Uh, but that also included a Donovan Mitchell explosion. Um, yeah, I, I guess, again, we talked about this in our last podcast. It was We mentioned really everyone wasn't playing well. There were only, like I think we said, two guys who were playing well, Rudy Gobert and Jay Crowder. And Joe Ingles was one of them. I think we kind of glossed over the fact that he'd been underperforming ever since he had back-to-back 20-point games. And maybe it was him playing out of his game, or maybe he was just dealing with something. I don't know. Well, there's there's probably an individual reason for each of these guys why they kind of fell off, why they didn't perform the way they did last season, from Ricky Rubio to Donovan Mitchell, Joe Ingles, Royce O'Neal, go down the list. And and hopefully this this game against Boston, where you know he gets 27 points, goes five of nine from three, we can't expect him to do that every night. Just like we didn't expect him to continue his pace that he had at the start. But as long as he can be that 13 point per game guy, shoot 40 percent from three, and play Joe Ingles style defense, that's all we need from Joe Ingles. For the most part, you know, plus a couple of things on the side. Like, if we get that Joe Ingles, that's enough. We don't need Kevin Durant style Joe Ingles. Yeah, so. yeah. We we we. Joe doesn't need to blow your mind with points to show you that he is an impactful player. Yeah, I think I, I like where you were at with there. Um, I mean, as long as the other team, as long as the other members of the team are doing what they're supposed to be doing inside of the framework, whether it's offense or defense, it opens up a lot of opportunities for not just Joe Ingles, but for Rubio, Mitchell, Gobert, Favors. It just goes down the list of people, and that's I think where a lot of that kind of uh, stopped was because that that losing streak was just – it wasn't jazz basketball. I mean, we talked about that last week. We were talking about how the defense just was non-existent and how they were – well, the identity of the team is defense. We want to be elite. Well, we said show it. And I am seeing instances of that. But, yeah, I mean, it all comes down to if these guys do what they are supposed to do uh, as a unit, then – we're going to see everybody's numbers go up again. So one thing I've been thinking about the last couple of weeks, we've, we've brought up defense, how the Jazz defense just simply hasn't been up to par. And But one of the themes so far this season has just been the absolute points explosion by everybody. The Jazz are part mm-hmm. of this. They're, they're a significantly more productive offense, at least in terms of points. You know, they're scoring more points per game. and you know, I'm saying that without looking at the exact numbers. But do you think that... The shift, and we know there's that freedom of movement rule. Do you think that part of Utah's struggle to play defense comes from the fact that just everybody's on fire on offense for whatever reason, be it this rule change or just maybe things have there's a shift in the NBA? Do you think the Jazz will be able to get back to where they were or even close to where they were uh, with the way that the NBA is going? I I don't know. I mean, if if Boston is the number one defense in the NBA, and you have Marcus Smart, the I, I don't even want to call him the master flopper because that's all his game is is just flop around like a fish. But if Boston can be the number one defense in in the NBA, no matter how early it is, I mean that tells you something. But it does open up a lot of. I mean, the rules for the NBA favor the offense more than ever. Um. You can't bump people the way you could before. You can't try to make it difficult for them to cut to the basket like you could before. Um, I, I, I don't. I don't really have an answer for that, to be honest with you. I mean, obviously, it's opened up Gobert's game because now all of a sudden, he they're they're turning him into DeAndre Jordan from when he was in the uh, in the cl- on the Clippers. It's like 2013 DeAndre Jordan, or whenever he was good. 2013, right. 2014, I want to say. Right, yeah, I don't know. I mean, because, yeah, with that freedom of movement, I mean, if you're coming off a screen, you can't touch that guy. You just can't. All you can hope for is that you get position to where you think he's going to go and hope that you can cut him off from there. And I think that was a part of the Jazz game. I mean, when you look at the 
the defending styles of a guy like Joe Ingles or Royce O'Neal. It's like these guys aren't super athletic. They're not super long. So what do you do when you, you're playing defense? You mess with the guy. You bump him a little bit. You know, he's coming off his screen, bump him so he, he doesn't quite catch the ball right. So the shot's just that little much harder. Those kind of advantages when you don't have a Kevin Durant-style length where you have a wingspan, you know, this ridiculously long, or you're like Rudy Gobert. You know, Rudy Gobert, he has a lot more natural defensive talent, and he uses it well. Um, and that's one of the reasons why he's a great defender is because he has a nine foot seven standing reach. But Joe Ingles doesn't have that. He's not significantly taller, more athletic. And so I think that can impact the defensive ability of these guys. I mean, you look at Ricky Rubio as well. I feel like a lot of our defensive identity, the Jazz's defensive identity, was they made they made up for a lot of those athletic deficiencies, and for in a lot of ways the length deficiency with some of that you know those little side things with defense the you know the, those little things that are now outlawed by that freedom of movement rule. And yeah, yeah, because it was all bully ball, but. I got I got to point back to Memphis. I mean, the the two times that we played <laughs> out of the next two times uh, that we've played Memphis, I mean, they don't seem like they've changed a thing about their defense. Like, why are they the exception to that rule? Why are they able to bump people around? Uh, it just might be uh, small sample pieces that I saw, but Memphis just looks like they're able to continue to do the same thing they've been doing for nearly a decade now. I think maybe it's probably because the Jazz talked about you know those internal improvements. I think Quinn Snyder was trying to implement new things, so maybe they were tinkering with something that wasn't broken. That I guess Memphis they're doing the same thing, so maybe the NBA is not quite you know implementing the the rule as as tightly as they thought. I don't know. Maybe Memphis just doesn't apply, or they adjusted perfectly, or just I don't have the answer to that. Yeah, I I don't think either of us do. <laughs> yeah, if we did, I'd I'd be a rich man. If I was that smart, I I'd have a little bit more money. Uh, it it is a concern though to me that you know with and I, I brought this up a couple weeks ago. Like, is it right for the Jazz to base their identity in defense and then try to implement an offense, which is the direction they've gone? Whereas it's it feels like most other teams tend to look to implement offense. And then they can kind of scrap together defensive role players, kind of like what the Jazz did, where they, well, they already had a defense, and they scrapped together more defensive role players. Um, it is something to to look at going forward if the Jazz are building right. They're you know they're they're building right through the draft and gathering in key free agents, but they're building from the defense up instead of like the offense up instead. And I think with with such a, it's like in the NFL, you can't build a team with a defense first. It, it doesn't, it doesn't work so so well that often. You know, it, well, yeah, because what in football, it's basically the defense has to hold out to get the offense back on the field. Yeah, that's that's basically what um, it where, is. Now. Whereas basketball is so much more kinetic, and it has to, you know both every player has to play both offense and defense. So it is a little bit different in that respect, but I don't know if they're building the wrong way in that respect, because at the end of the day, no matter what era of basketball this is, whether or not it's the golden state dominated era that we're witnessing now, or if it was back to when John Carl and Michael Jordan were playing back then, it has shifted a little bit, but there's always going to be that adage that defense always travels. Defense is going to keep keep you in games. The offense will follow. If, like, yeah, it's not going to look pretty. And the goal of the game is to put the ba- uh, the ball in the basket. But if you're making it difficult for the other team to score, then I think in some ways you can at least pull a moral victory out of that. Yeah, and and I definitely believe the defense plays an enormous role. Like, in and I mentioned this before, when you look at the championship teams, they're not just the offensive juggernauts. They're the teams that have combined great defense with their great offenses, because the Warriors, perhaps the most underrated mm-hmm. aspect of their dynasty is the fact they've been one of the best defensive teams in that stretch in terms of efficiency. Sure. Uh, but I mean, we, you look at defense, defense could have played a, a much bigger role back when it was easier for the defense to stop opponents. It gets easier and easier and easier and easier for 
know, uh, an offense to score, there's only so many ways you can stop a guy going to the basket. It's like, you know, first of all, you can't hand check him. Now you can't touch him. Now you can't breathe on him. It's like, now you, you can't do all the tiny little things that you can't go around a screen like this. You can't do this, this, or this. Sure, sure. And every time you take away something like that, the defense has to innovate, and eventually you're going to run out of effective ways to innovate. So, and again, I, I, I'm not saying the Jazz are building wrong either. I just, it's something to watch for going forward. Because if the Jazz can build a good offense around this defense, it doesn't matter. Because mm-hmm. once you combine good offense and defense, that makes you a great team and a playoff contender. But it, it's an experiment. The Warriors did an experiment, yeah. and it worked perfectly. The Jazz are yeah. trying a, a different experiment. They're trying to create a superb defensive culture, better than the rest of the NBA, and then trying to build something else with it. You know, bring the rest of the team along. So it, it's something to keep an eye on, just like, like I said. Um, yeah, it is. It is for sure. But you still got that out, outlier like Greg Popovich and the San Antonio Spurs. Like you're always going to see the San Antonio Spurs in the playoffs. Always. Yeah. So long as, so long long as, as Greg Popovich is around. Yeah, exactly. Yep. You finished my sentence. <laughs> yeah. But again, Greg Popovich had, uh, he followed the, him and Bill Belichick had like the exact same model. They had a true all time superstar that they were able to kind of build around use as a crutch for a while. And mm-hmm. we've kind of moved on from that. But you've also seen kind of a decline in the Spurs since then. Um, but again, we're kind of getting off on a tangent here. Um, one thing we did need to bring up, cause, and we've we managed to talk about the Boston game while ignoring this somehow. I don't know how we managed this. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know it. You know it is. Uh, Gordon Hayward, um, Gordon Harvard, uh, is. <laughs> I, I love the joke about misspelling his name. That's something that I, that will just never die. Um, but it was funny because I, I read this. Uh, there was a guy who did like a summary of Celtics comment boards. I mean, posted on Twitter, and there was a Celtics fan who spelled Gordon Hayward's name wrong. It was like, dude, it's your own player, and it's not like a one of those you know names that's really hard. Like if it's if a Bucks fan gets Giannis Antetokounmpo's name wrong, they, like they spell it wrong, you know what? I'm gonna give them that, even though it's their own player. I still can't spell his name right, and I'm supposed to cover the NBA to some degree. But you can't spell well, Gordon Hayward. Yeah, that that one's really tough to get messed up. I mean, people screw up my last name. Like, it's S A N D E R S. Yeah, people people I I tell them you know I put my name down or something like Trey Sanders, and people are like Trey Saunders. I'm like, no, you idiot. There's no U in my name. I literally told you what my name was. <laughs> um, but like, wasn't it? Uh, What's his name? Coaches the Clippers? Doc Rivers? Uh, Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers, could. Uh, uh, when we were in the playoffs against them two years ago, he kept referring to Hayward as Haywood. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that's a classic and I think one. Char- I think Charles Barkley does it, too. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's kind of where it originated, is that all the national people would get his name wrong. I think he, I even saw Colin Cowherd get it wrong once. Um, <laughs> of course... Colin Howard gets a lot of things wrong. Uh, it's not just the spelling, but yeah, it's just. But again, kind of with the one of the things. Speaking of national writers, so many of them. I guess I guess there were more Boston writers than national writers. They were like, "Why are Jazz fans booing him? He gave seven years to that franchise, and it's just like, screw you. Uh, just, you, you, just so tone deaf or whatever." Like you, you don't understand. Like I guess being a Boston writer, you wouldn't understand what it's like to have somebody just ditch the team because it never happens to Boston. Boston's usually the team ditching people, like they did Isaiah Thomas hmm. and, and all this other stuff. You know, started Isaiah Thomas's downward spiral. Granted, I was kind of already skeptical of Isaiah Thomas anyway, but it's just you don't understand what it was like. And again, one of the things a lot of people have been bringing out is that you look at all the other stars, you know, Gordon Hayward's not the only star that's left. Like pretty much all of the stars in the NBA have left their team at some point. And 
But you look at the vast majority of them, with the exception of Kevin Durant and LeBron James, the two biggest stars in the NBA, pretty much every other star has made it very clear they wanted to leave. And a trade was orchestrated. Heck, Chris Paul, I think, did he, he deliberately stayed with the Clippers, like exercised his player option, just so the Clippers could yeah, trade yeah. him. Like that, sure, leaving Clippers, that you know, you can be upset if you're a Clippers fan. But that was a bro move by Chris Paul to at least allow the Clippers to get something from it. In, instead yeah, of just so that just they could plan them. ahead. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, when LeBron left Cleveland to go to Miami, I mean, come on. It was on national television. Hayward didn't do anything like that. But, I mean, people need to people fail to remember that um, there was never any talk internally from Hayward or even his agent that he was even considering it. It was always a mystery for the longest time. And so uh, fans, I mean, I talked to plenty of people. They were just like, nah, he's not going to leave. He's not going to leave. And I was that guy that was like, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's going to leave. I can't remember what it was. I saw this. Thing. It was like something, a notification on the ESPN app that came up. And it popped up. And I, I wish I remember who the player was. But they, they got rid of like one or two people, said they were picking up one. And that's when I knew. I was like, Hayward's going. He's going to Boston. I told some of my friends this, and they're like, oh, that's blasphemy. I was like, okay, cool. We'll, we'll bet money on this. I, I, naturally, I won. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's seven years anywhere. I mean, yes, we pretty much made him into the player he became. Um, but it wasn't necessarily his departure because, for me, he's welcome to go wherever the hell he wants. His contract expires. He's his own person. He can go where he wants to. But he has like this love affair with Brad Stevens. That that was an indicator to me. Um, and the way it was handled, I mean, it was just the, there was no words being spoken. There was nothing. It was just a guessing game. And then um, it was broken by I think it was Wojnarowski that broke the news before it was actually broken. And then they rescinded it and said, "Oh no, that's not a thing." And then all of a sudden, his thing, his uh, article goes up on the Players Tribune announcing his departure. So in a way, yeah, I mean, it was just the way it was handled, I think, is more or less what people are really pissed off about. Because at the end of the day, we got Donovan Mitchell out of it, and I'm fine with that. <clears throat> yeah, so I mean, Jazz fans are definitely a lot better off now. All right, I guess they're, they're not any worse off, I should say, because we'd have been better off with Gordon here. That's the short of it. You know, he's an all-star caliber player that would have been with Donovan Mitchell. And you can talk about whether Donovan Mitchell would have quite developed into the same player. Maybe, maybe not. But, again, like you said, it was it was so much about how he left. Because you're going to be mad at a superstar whether he leaves or not. He would have been booed even if he would have demanded a trade. That's just what happens. He's a, he's a superstar that the, that the team embraced, the fan base embraced, that, you know, and again, the front office bent over backwards to accommodate for him including flying out to his place after he flew out or maybe before whatever like they flew out to him he flew out to the to meet the other people it's just like so many things just make up this so long list that sure he's not the only superstar to leave and and I get that and he's definitely free to do what he wants that's fine you know to be honest you know the player-owner relationship is very much one-sided a lot of times in favor of the owner in, in some cases. Not so much in the NBA, but, you know, forced to spend seven years if the owner wants you to stay, that can be kind of harsh. So I don't have a problem with him doing what he wants to do, but again, so much of it, like you said, and like so many others have said, it's how he left. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, Dennis Lindsay was doing everything he could to bring in different pieces to kind of help um solidify the reason for him to stay um and i mean i like what david Locke said because he even touched on this on his podcast is that you know when gordon hayward left it was it was the mentality was okay we're done you know at that point we didn't know that we were getting donovan mitchell we just knew that gordon hayward was he was gone and then it was basically back to the drawing board at that point so, but it, with the angst still, like, 
I, I don't feel any angst anymore because, and this sounds terrible, but he broke his ankle <laughs> the very first game of the season last year. So in some ways it's kind of like, yeah, it's, I, you, I don't, I, like I felt bad, but at the same time it was like, wow. Okay. That's uh that's like, an omen. Karma, karma <laughs> exists. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but even still, like if, it, if I was at the game, I don't know if I would have booed him. I mean, I didn't even boo him on the telecast oh, <laughs> I'd just have, like, I'd have, because he's just another guy on the team now. I'd have been practically screaming my boo. Like it would have just been, yeah, I, I would have booed him. I, maybe second time he comes around, maybe less. So, um, I, like I kind of put away a lot of that resentment after he shattered his ankle, um, but then now that he's back, I'm taking very much pleasure in the fact that one, he's having a very mediocre season, and two, I've already seen Boston fans clamoring for his being traded. Granted, Jimmy really? Butler's not a target anymore, so that might not be so much a thing. But yeah, <laughs> my and and again, I've said this so many times before, but I will be very pleased when I see the vast majority of Boston fans talking about trading Hayward, talking about him being their main trade piece. So, I am hmm. looking. Well, forward I mean, what to do you expect, game. though? Anybody who comes back from a horrific injury like that, they're not going to be the same for a while. I mean, it's going to be a long road back for him. Whether or not he continues that long road back to where he was with Boston is to be determined. But at the end of the day, I mean, it was really nice, and like I don't know, it was a part of the game plan to go at Hayward because Quinn knew. He's not going to be able to keep up with us. He's, he's just not. And I it, even Trevor Booker on uh, Twitter was like, is it just me or is Utah going straight at Hayward? And it's like, yes, yes, they are. <laughs> yeah, and, and I get obviously the injury will take – it'll probably take him most of the year to really get back into his 2017 form. If he ever even gets back to it, I don't know if he will. But part of him maybe not getting back to that is the fact that he's not the best player on the court ever when he's playing nope. with the Celtics, unless he's playing with the third stringers, which why would he be doing that anyway? But like in Utah, you could argue he was either always the best player on the court or a close second when Rudy Gobert was on the court. Mm -hmm. Now he's like the fourth best player in the starting lineup, maybe fifth, depending on who's in it. I don't know Boston's starting lineup by heart. It was like Carrie Irving. Who's our starting two guard? Oh hell, I don't know. Probably Marcus. Yeah, it was a Marcus. Yeah, so he's, yeah, I'd say he's better than Marcus. At least pre-injury, he's better than Marcus. Um, but Jason Tatum, the man who spells his name wrong, and then Al Horford. I mean, yeah, you're the. So I guess in that current lineup, he'd be the fourth best player in the starting lineup. Yeah, that's fun for him, I'm sure. Yeah, I don't think. To be fair, I don't think that he went to Boston because because of that star power I, I i think he just i think he went there because he knew that he didn't have to have all of that added pressure on him to be the best player which is fine but at the same time you're kind of i, I don't know it's almost to me it tells me okay you're just okay being mediocre yeah that's kind of sad yeah they probably, a bit, they, but they, they probably promised him being like the second best player on that team that's probably what they were probably. promising him him and Kyrie Irving throw in Al Horford, the perpetually underrated Al Horford. Of course, nowadays he's not so much underrated because he's getting the attention because of Brad Stevens and the fact that Boston's good, but um, he's still usually pretty underrated. Oh, I love Al Horford. Yeah. I have a hard time loving him because I'm disliking the Celtics more and more, but Al Horford's a good guy. Yeah, for sure. All right, so we're going to kind of move on to one of our last things. Uh, I know we did a segment last time. This time we're going to be doing a segment. I don't have a cheesy intro to throw in front of it right now. Um, I spent way too long creating that uh, critical condition intro. Really? Yeah. Well, it's really hard to find people who say critical condition on YouTube. Mm. I, I had the darnest time. Like, look, try and find a specific phrase, you know, that you, you know, something like that. I don't know. It was really hard. <laughs> I I also randomly went through a, a bunch of medical shows looking for that. <laughs> like I said, I spent way too much time making that. So I hope you all, you listeners, appreciated that. 
Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. It's all worth yeah. it now. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're not going to have a, an intro. Maybe I'll make an intro for a lot of these eventually. It just comes down to me having time and just sitting down and doing it. Because sometimes I already have an idea for an intro segment. Other times I have to make one up and that, you know, it's hard to turn on the creative juices. They they have to come to you. I hope that wasn't yeah. an innuendo of Ain't some kind. <laughs> All right, so uh, over under, and I guess we don't even have a technical name for this segment yet, but we're going to be talking about the the next stretch for the Jazz because it's super hard and super dumb, and I don't know why the schedule makers hate us in the early season, but after playing, I guess, the majority of our games on the road, or at least it feels like the majority of our games on the road, we've already done like a, a four-game road trip this year. Didn't we didn't, didn't we already do that earlier this year? Yeah, yep. Right yeah, before four, right before this homestand. Yeah. Homestand of three games, yeah. So the next twelve games the Jazz play, ten of them will be on the road. So there's a five game road trip that they'll be on immediately. That's their next five games. They'll be at home. So they're gonna play at Memphis, at Dallas, and sounds like deja vu. Yes, we have played both of those teams. Twice already. This will be the third time we play those two teams. Games 13 and 14, and we've played two teams in the NBA twice. Okay. Then we'll play the 76ers, the Celtics again, the Pacers, the Kings for a third time. Oh, wait, no. Oh, that's the second time. We play them a third time later. Sorry. My bad. Um, I've already lost my spot. The Lakers. So, yeah, the Pacers, Kings, Lakers. So that Kings game is at home. At Lakers. At the Kings. That's the third time we're playing them. Then the Pacers again. (laughs) Then the Nets. Then the Hornets. Then the Heat. And that's the end of that 12-game stretch. So, and one thing that I went and I counted up. So in Utah's first 23 games that they'll play this season... They'll have played 14 unique opponents and three NBA teams three times. And two of their Eastern Conference opponents, they'll have already played their allotted games. Barely a fourth of the way into the season, or I guess just over a fourth. And and they'll have played... <laughs> they're not going to play half these teams again, it feels like, right. after, this, after these first few games. But again, that... that 10 on the road out of 12 games. That's going to be brutal. But we're going to play a little over-under. Um, so both of us kind of come up with some over-under. Um, how many did you did you come up with a lot or just a couple? A few. Okay. So I got a few ideas. Some of them might be redundant. I feel like we may end up having a couple of the same. But the first one we're going to do is wins. Um, how many wins... Um, do you think they'll have? So I said an over-under. You can tell me whether you would go over or under this. I said the over-under at 5.5. Where do you think oh, the so Jazz... just a little over half. Just Yeah, just just a little under half. Under half. Um, I got to say over. You got to say over? <laughs> I'm not so sure. I, I, I might say under, to be honest. I felt like it was, it was it was really on the probably a, a little low but pretty close. It's I think most people would say somewhere between four and seven. Um, somewhere in that range would be sweet spot. I think most fans would kind of be okay with that. Um, because anything less, that's really bad. <laughs> like if they don't win four games, I'll already sure. be upset. And of course. I'm being so kind of was pessimistic I, with my pick. So was I being too generous when I thought they'd go nine and three over these twelve? Is that what you picked? Yeah. <laughs> you are very optimistic. Yeah, and I don't, I, I don't know if there's just, I don't, I don't really know why I picked it that way. Um, maybe it was just hope, but I honestly think like at least one of these times we're gonna get a win against Memphis, and it, if there's gonna be a win we get against Memphis, it's gonna be tomorrow. Yeah, well, we don't play him again until, I don't know, 2022 maybe? Uh, when's the next time we play him? 
Um, you go on ahead. I'll look it up. Okay. All right. So, and I guess my thoughts would be they, I'd want to say they win against Memphis. So let's see. That'd be one. They'd probably beat Dallas, probably lose to Philadelphia. So that's what? So if I go, I'll go win against Memphis. That's two and one. Probably lose at the Celtics, at the Pacers. So that's two and two. Two and three after they face the Pacers. Three and three against the Kings. And I want to say they beat the Lakers. So that's I've already lost kind of where I'm at. Is that that's four and three. Five and three against the Kings. So they come pretty close because then they're playing the Pacers, Nets. So that's I think that's pretty close. I think six. Again, between four and seven. Of course, that's assuming they win all of the winnable games, lose all the losable, knowing the Jazz, they'll lose to the Grizzlies and Mavericks and then beat the Celtics, 76ers, Pacers, and whatnot, just, you know, typical Jazz fashion. Go toe-to-toe with the NBA's best and then struggle against the, you know, the seller of the NBA. Of course, Memphis and Dallas aren't necessarily at the bottom this year. They're just kind of in the middle. Dallas Dallas is flirting with it. Uh, yeah. No, Sacramento's actually been surprising, uh, surprisingly good. Uh, no, because I did. So here's how I picked it. I've been. I went Memphis, Dallas are wins, Philly and Boston are a loss. And the reason I chose Boston going back or going to Boston and losing is because, in all honesty, we blew a twenty point lead on Friday night, and if Kyrie Irving was playing, we lost that game. Um. I think that we're going to get wins both in Indiana and at home against Indiana. Um, I think we're going to beat Sacramento both times. Uh, We'll have problems with LA, but we'll still pull that one out. Brooklyn, you can't sleep on them, but I still feel like we're going to win that game. Uh, And then Miami, Rudy Gobert always gets Hassan Whiteside, has Hassan Whiteside's number. So I pulled a win for that one too. Yeah, so that's that's something I would expect last year's Jazz team to do. I expect them to go nine and three at minimum over this stretch. I'm just being pessimistic about this year. I guess I guess you're a lot more optimistic, and they could, if what we've seen in the last two games is actually indicative of them getting back on track. Maybe they'll pull out a nine and three stretch without. Again, I would be ecstatic if we won nine of the right. 12 games. Right. And you want to feel, you want to feel like after, you know, winning two straight, especially against Boston, uh, you know, th- their confidence has improved for that. But obviously we've, we've got some pretty good wins and then we, we lost four in a row. So um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, maybe I'm being a little too generous, but it's also because I still think that they are more than capable of doing that, especially um, after they've gotten a few good wins under the belt. All right, so here, give me one of your uh, over/unders, a, a number you've got. Um, free throws have been an issue. Um, we're second in the NBA at taking the most free throws, but we what 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 I say, fourteenth or sixteenth? No, twenty-second in uh, free throw makes or percentages. So right now they're sitting at point seven three percent for the year. I'm going to say that they're going to put their free throw percentage over 74 after the 12 games. So they'll, they'll raise that up. You think they'll, so you're yeah, the they'll only raise it by like a percentage, but I think they'll go, I think they'll raise that. So I guess the, the over under of percent by the end will be 74 roughly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd take the under. You take the under, okay? I'm 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 retaining my pessimism here, uh, but <laughs> it's it's one of my sayings that when the Jazz go to the free throw line, you can count on them missing one. Just yeah, well, especially favors. Yeah, if, favors especially. Also, Rudy Gobert, the only player who I feel confident he'll make both is Ricky Rubio. He's shooting 89 percent this year. Not a single other. Oh wait, no, Alec Burks is shooting 90 percent. <laughs> Jk. Dude, Alec Burks is in the 50-40-90 club right now. Wow. I did not realize that. Yeah, well, you just jinxed it. <laughs> He's going to miss all the shots. <laughs> oh. Oh, wait. Shoot. No, I was looking at the wrong one. Okay. 
is it is he in the 50 40 90 club if he's shooting 50 percent from three 40 percent from field goal and 90 percent free throws yeah just a little skate wampus <laughs> yeah, i was i was basketball reference they have their setup i was looking at the three point percent which is 57.9 is two point percent is 42.3 which i confused that for being the field goal and the three point and then the the field the free throw yeah, it's still the same thing. Okay, so he's in the 50-40-90 club. Good job. I think he leads the Jazz on three-point percentage. At least for guys who actually take free throws, three-pointers. Oh, he does lead all of them. Huh. I did have a third one for this. Um, Jazz are sitting at 14.7 turnovers per game right now. I say after 12, and this is... This is almost as unrealistic as going nine and three over these twelve games. Turnovers will be under twelve for that in that for that stretch. No. <laughs> I don't know if they've ever been under twelve ever. Do I do I just have too much faith right now? Maybe, you know, maybe that's what we need. I think there's a lot of fans, there's too many fans that are like me that are getting down on this team when, you know, like just like they did last year and Rudy Gobert says we'll be fine. And then we were fine and we all jumped on the bandwagon. Now we're jumping off again. Who's jumping off you? Uh, not quite. I'm jumping off the, uh, I'm jumping off the number two seed in the West bandwagon. Hmm. Hopefully, hopefully I don't jump off the playoff bandwagon. Sweet. That's the thing is, it's like it's still too early. Like it really is. It's still too early. So for me, it's like any NBA team, whether it's the Warriors. I mean, even look at the Rockets, man. Like they're like they're a mess. I mean, and we can't count the the Rockets out because they're just so talented. But they did say that they're probably going to get rid of Carmelo Anthony, which is funny. Well, that's just that's irrelevant anyway. He's like the eighth best player on their team. Yeah, Joe, Joe Johnson's better than him. <laughs> How old is Joe Johnson? Like fifty-seven. Fifty-seven. <laughs> no, he's like. 34. I don't think he's that old. <laughs> yeah. He's like thirty-four, thirty-five. <laughs> What's a little exaggeration between friends? You know. Sure. Yeah, he's actually he's actually not that old. I don't think. Yeah. I'm gonna have to look that I up. I don't know, but I I I, I try to be as real about the team is anything else. I mean, I pissed off a bunch of people when uh, the jazz were in the playoffs with Hayward. And there was that one game. There was like a stretch. I think it was like six minutes where the jazz just did not score. And all of a sudden my, I'm just sitting here like, guys, we're going to lose this game. We're going to lose it. It's over. It's done. And they're like, no, you have no faith. Blah, 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 blah. We're going to come back. And then they hit a few shots. And I was like, okay, sure. They made a few shots. Still going to lose. And then people started getting pissed off at me. And then we lost, and everybody at the end was like, no, we should listen to you. I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's it's statistics, man. You just look at what the heck was going on. It's like, we're not going to have some freaking miracle happen right there. Yeah, and, and see, the thing is, I'm not one to just get down on a team just because they're losing. I, I get down on the Jazz because I'm seeing symptoms of a, you know, bad symptoms, you know, of a disease. I don't, disease isn't really the right word. Um more like an yeah, ailment, um, which goes back to our critical condition segment last time. I'm playing doctor <laughs> again here. Uh, it, it's just I'm seeing things that I'm not liking that I was worried about last year, and they're coming true this year. Um, just, you know, Ricky Rubio not being able to replicate what he did, because if Rubio was able to replicate what he did last year, we'd be just as good as we were, you know. I guess I was I actually wasn't worried about the defense. Uh, I actually expected that to be just as good, which you know that's just come out of the blue, and I, I'm confident we'll pick that back up. But if other things aren't picking back up, um, mainly Ricky Rubio or Donovan Mitchell not being able to increase his efficiency, if those things aren't happening, then you know, those are the the main things I'm pessimistic about, which I feel like will lead to this Jazz team taking a bit of a step back. Um, again, it's early. If I see these things getting fixed, then I'll be a lot more 
positive about this team. Because um, I was I was hoping that you know Donovan Mitchell increases efficiency and that we'd get more out of Joe Ingles, more out of Royce O'Neal, you know, more out of Jay Crowder, and of course we've got more out of Jay Crowder, which was really nice, and we've got more out of Rudy Gobert on the offensive end, but. Again, there's there's some systematic things that I'm not liking that I'm seeing that kind of feed into that pessimism. Sure, but let me point you to the past two games. Like Donovan Mitchell, um, in the game on Wednesday, that was probably the most efficient game I've seen him play. Um, not only did he score a decent amount of points, but he scored at a good rate. Um, I think he was only 7 of 12. Um, that's off the top of my head. I don't know. But he also had 7 assists. Um, and then the game against Boston, he still had some moments where he had that tunnel vision and he went there and he's even said himself, like, that's something I need to do better on. And that's always a good sign, uh, especially from your star. Um, and Royce O'Neal, his production has gone up, um, not by much, but it's incremental for him, which is always a good sign. Um, George Niang, he's obviously only ever going to be an offensive guy. Good Lord, I don't want to see him play defense. That makes me nervous. Um, and Jay Crowder, dude's going to be – dude's making a case for sixth man of the year right now. Um, he's playing just tremendous. Some of the stuff he's doing is never going to show up on the on the stat sheet. Yeah, and I definitely agree on that, that Jay Crowder front. Him, he could – you know, if he doesn't win sixth man of the year, it'll either because he's dropping off a little bit or just because – it's the Jazz, and why would they give the Jazz players awards? At least one like sixth man of the year, where it's most people don't really pay attention to that award, and they just kind of give it to whoever. Um, right, and Lou Williams can't get it again, or can he? Is he a starter? I don't remember. I they don't gave know. it to Eric Gordon last year, didn't they? I I don't remember. I'm pretty sure it was Eric Gordon. But yeah, I he's a Jay Crowder is sixth man of the year candidate, and I I think Royce O'Neal has come back a little bit um although his his plus minuses are still not looking very good i mean in an eight point win against boston he was minus 17 um so there's some positives there's some negatives like i said his his production numbers are going up after terrible start to the season um and you're right donovan mitchell has had two games again the thing I, i i keep bringing up is you know that that shots to points um ratio which is something i've Always worried about with Donovan Mitchell, he's been on the right side of that. Uh, against the Mavericks, he was 9 of 17, um, to be specific. He had 23 points. And then I think it was something very similar against Boston. I want to see he had like 22 points and he had 17-ish shots. I have to look at the box mm. score now. But, you know, in both those games, he was relatively efficient. Didn't too, do too bad. Um Hold on, I'm looking it up. 5 of 14, 21 points. Not bad. Pretty good, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, about, you know, like, you know, 1.3 or 1.6 shots, uh, points per shot, if I'm doing quick math right. Um, and a lot of that is because he's getting to the free throw line. He had 13 free throw attempts. So we've seen a couple of positive signs in these last couple of games. We've seen a little bit more out of Ricky Rubio. Some better stuff out of Derek Favors. And Alec Burks is back, which I, I think that's going to be a, a bigger difference than I think a lot of people expect, especially given mm-hmm. how he's played this year. But we'll see if the, if the Jazz truly have turned around after this. Because like I said, they played teams that were on tired legs. And I guess this these next 12 games are going to be really tough on them. We'll see who they really are, or at least we'll find out more about who they really are. Yeah, for sure. We've got to find that consistency. Yeah, because if they go nine and three, a lot of my confidence will be restored in this team. Because if they go nine and three, it probably means that they fixed a lot of things that I'm that I'm pointing out that Donovan Mitchell continues to be efficient. That Ricky Rubio decides he wants to actually learn how to shoot the ball better. And the Joe Ingles continues his resurgence after that rough stretch. All these different things. Yeah, so. if they if they go nine and three, you owe me blueberries. All right, all right, that's fair. <laughs> We're back I don't to think that it's going to happen, but I, I, I can believe. 
That, that that's a bet I'll take. If they win nine, well, I'll even go nine or more games. How about that? Okay. I won't, right. I won't just stick to nine and three. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make myself a pie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You can do that. Um, let's see. We we got time for let's let's do one where I'm probably optimistic. Um, I have an over under. It's kind of a random one. Um, number of double doubles Rudy Gobert has in this stretch. Um, I stuck my over under at ten and a half. You think he has more or less? Half. I'm gonna I'm gonna go over. See, I'd go over too. If it was. I'd, I guess maybe I should have put it at 11 and a half for like, because the thing I'd is, still, he, I'd still go over. Would you? He's had a double I, double every game. So it's, yeah, all oh, but oh, one. Oh yeah, all but one. He said the nine point game against Memphis. So he's had 11 out of 12 this season. So you think he'll do 11 out of 12 again, at least? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah the thing is, I I actually <laughs> go over too. Funny thing is, he'd still have double doubles in like five games, even if you only counted his defensive rebounds. Um, right. Yeah. There's even going to be one of those games. I I don't know Charlotte's roster that well, but I guarantee I I, I can almost guarantee he's going to have a minimum of four blocks in that game. Against Charlotte. Yeah. What may, what makes you say that? Because well, because. Charlotte relies so heavily on their guards. I don't know who they have in the paint, but I let me I'll pull up their roster. But as far as I know, like Charlotte is really guard heavy. Like um Monk, I forget his first name. Oh, well he's washed up and sucks anyways. <laughs> Wasn't he in the rotation though still? I, I don't know, is he? Uh, as far as I knew, last year they what was he like the number one pick, and he was just awful. I'm like Monk. He was like top something, top ten at least. Once he was like ninth, somewhere in that range. I'm looking it up now. He was oh eleventh. Sorry, eleventh. Okay, two spots but before Donovan like, Mitchell. Huh. So I mean, they've got. They're not entirely well. So Malik Monk, he, he looks like he's their sixth man or something to that effect, because he's playing like the fourth most minutes, but he's not started a game. Um, and he's actually their second leading scorer. Interesting. So, so it's like it's like Kimba Walker, Malik Monk. You also got Jeremy Lamb. He's like a two-three. You know, like comboing, like pretty much everybody in the NBA is these days. Then, of course, Tony Parker. Tony Parker, you know, I mean, he'll probably hit like two floaters over Rudy Gobert. Just oh that's... yeah, Frank Kaminsky. He's he is not good. <laughs> no. Gobert, Gobert, and Favors are gonna eat his lunch. Willie Hernan Gomez. not gonna get onto I mean, the court. Right, Kamin... and you got Willie Hernan Gomez. Nah. That's advantage, Rudy, all day. Yeah. Well, Hernan Gomez shoots threes as well. He's shooting 70% on threes this year. Granted, he huh. takes like one per game. But, yeah, I think the Jazz will definitely own the paint because I'm not seeing a player on this roster that can hang with Rudy Gobert or Derek Favors, to be honest. Like, Cody Zeller is the closest it comes. And that's Cody Zeller. Yeah, Cody Zeller, Bismack Biombo. I mean, maybe have a breakout. I doubt it. So the thing is, as you look at Biombo and Kaminsky, they've played a, in a combined ten games. Like Biombo's been in six, Kaminsky's been in four. I don't know if they've either been injured or if they're just not playing. But both are averaging under ten minutes a game. So I'm not seeing them hmm. getting into the game really. Well, they might play more just because Rudy Gobert's coming to town, and they need more than Cody Zeller. So Rudy Gobert might go for 25 and 25 in that game. <laughs> yeah, right. again, I, I'd even – he's going to get those double-doubles. <laughs> it's just – it's, just, it's All right. So I guess the, the consensus is I'm pessimistic on these over-unders and Trey is fairly optimistic. Um, 
But we're running a little long here, so we're going to go ahead and end it here and and just hope that the Jazz do well again. We're going to we're probably going to have like three of these shows in the span of this road trip, so you're going to get quite up to date um, stuff with with this road trip. Let's see, how many shows are we going to have? We're going to have one after the first. Just about the entire road trip will be covered by our next podcast. Then we'll cover like. Let's see. The third podcast from today. We'll cover the very end of that 12-game stretch. So we'll probably have three podcasts that will at the very least touch on this on this road trip. So we're going to get really close and personal with this uh, these 12 games. Yeah. And, and I think it'll be a very def- defining time for the Jazz. Just like December kind of helped define last season in a way. Um, and also, you know, February and March helped define it, but this will be a pivotal moment, I think. November. I think we'll we'll look back on the season and think, oh yeah, November. Just like we do with December and, and post-January with last season, this will be one of those pivotal moments. For better or worse, we'll think back, I think, and we'll look at, oh yeah, November. I remember that month. It was either really good or really bad. So. Yeah. All right, that'll do it for us here. Jason Walker, Trey Sanders with Hashtag Jazz. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week.